Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank you for downloading Spin the Rally Pod one more time and the season is over. Monza is done and dusted in the World Rally Championship. We have our champion and we had a fitting end to the 2021 season. I'm Lisa O'Sullivan, the rally fan here to keep the peace between the team. Dirtfish senior staff writer David Evans, former motorsport team boss George Donaldson and the man they call the voice of rally, Colin Clark. Good morning, chaps. We're doing this bright and early is always a misnomer because, well, for three of us, we're not particularly bright at this time of the morning. <laughs> morning, um, Lee. <laughs> one of us might be more bright than the other. Anyway, um, Monza, that was a brilliant end to the season. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it was. It was. It, it, was, a fair, it was a fair ending, wasn't Ooh, it? There's, there's it, thinking going on there. <laughs> no, it was. It, it, it absolutely was. But it, it, was, it was this whole kind of almost juxtaposition throughout the whole event that, we were sort of lulled into this idea that there was a fight going on uh, because, and, and you know, with some justification because I think the lead changed something like six times. Uh, so you would, you would say that that was a, a battle for the lead. Uh, but throughout all of it, you know, there was, there was only really ever going to be one bigger picture winner and that was Sebastian Ogier. Uh, and all he did really was, was keep his hand in, uh, in that fight he had. An interest in winning the rally, but absolutely by no means was it the the big deal for him. Uh, and if he'd if he'd finished second to to Elvin, then you know it would have stung a bit. And actually, the one thing that was became very clear uh, was he told us throughout the event, no, 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 not interested. Definitely just focused on the championship. And then of course he came across the line uh, in that final stage. Um, and uh Kai Lindstrom I think it was in in the Toyota command center was saying yes you are world champions you are world blah 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 and he was telling Julian yes you're world champion and, and this that and the other and Ogier was saying what about the rally what about the rally because I think it was only six or seven seconds between yeah. um him and Elvin so clearly mm-hmm. you know as much as he'd yep we, okay we know about the championship but don't forget we were quite keen on the rally as well so you know, Ogier, he he was right. You know, he he had to stay focused on the championship, but also there was a lot of history last weekend. You know, it was the final ever event for a world rally car. Uh, it was his final event with Julian. It was his final event as a full time program. He wanted to win. Yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. question he wanted to win. Giants. No question. You know, what was interesting, David, as you say, was that you had that been a rally earlier on in the year, we'd have said, "Wow, what a ding dong battle." It was, you know, we were talking tenths of a second between Ogier and Elvin Evans. Although, to be honest, you know, Ogier led the rally for all but four stages, uh, which was a little bit strange considering, you know, he didn't have to actually do an awful lot in that rally. But as you say, uh, you know, for sure he wanted to win the final rally 
in these cars. He wanted to win his final rally as a full-time driver in the championship. But he didn't have to. Uh, but he did, and he did it. He did it in some style, you'd have to say. You know, he had that that heart-stopping moment on the opening stage yeah. on the final day, uh, yeah. which was <laughs> it just brilliantly caught on camera, that flash as the, uh, I suppose it was the wheel hub just grazed that concrete block, and it was like, my goodness, <laughs> a millimetre, two millimetres further over. The wheel slightly open, and it could have been all over for Ogier, but... Uh, no, it but was, but it again, was, Cole, a, you, no, Colin, Colin, you, you listened to, to Ogier's take on that, and it was totally different to ours. You and I were like, good God, that's a disaster. Potential. And he was like, no, no, that was, yeah, yeah of course, he was, he was sort of joking, but he was like, that's millimetre perfect yeah. because you put everything, you stress everything to the limit. So if he, he'd known that that wasn't going to damage the car, that was the place to put the car because it was the fastest line. But... Nah. To then drive the next kilometer staring at the screen waiting to see if you got a puncture Absolutely. was not ideal. But I, I thought that was a real insight into the different way that we looked at it as if, oh, my God, what have you done? Nah, but that's and what it was, was like, David. Yeah, but I got away. That's what it was. That, there's no question that's no, what no, it was. No, 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 but he was, his opinion was, I got away with it. It's fine. Aye. You know, it was millimeter perfect. If I had been that extra millimeter over, potentially we could have been more impact, more damage on the car. But, I, but what, I what was he also really said, sort of struck. what he also said, David, was that you know you look back to Elvin, where where Elvin had that uh, failure where he hit, I can't remember what, what it was he hit in Spain. He hit something in Spain, and Ogier said it was less of a hit. He was going slower, but the the, the consequences mm. were, were were much much bigger. Um, you know, so uh, it's one one of those things, isn't it? But but he was, he, I thought he was interesting. He was interesting in the way, as you say, he dealt with it. Uh, and he kind of dismissed it. He, you know, I think I think he'll have looked at it afterwards and gone, "Goodness me, goodness me, that was too close for comfort." Um, but you know what? What he said was, you, "You feel with those chicanes, those concrete blocks, you feel your miles away from them. You always feel your miles away, and you want to get closer. You want to get closer to get that fastest line, and then, bang! It was a noise more than anything that said to him, "Oops, a little I, bit too close." I. I I've got. I've got to say, I do. I do have first-hand experience of those chicanes. Oh. Uh, when I um, <laughs> when I first tested the Ford Fiesta R5 car, uh, my first run at Kirkbride was with Matthew Wilson. Matthew charged through this uh, right entry chicane brilliantly, in probably fourth gear. Um, and after a couple of laps, I was sort of going through there in second gear. Mm -hmm. A lot more lock on between the between the chicanes between the big bollards. Uh, and then towards the end of my time, I thought, yeah, I, I can see what Matthew's doing there. I, I've got a good idea of that. I know the width of the car. So I probably approached it with a fair few revs on in third and turned in and bang. Oh, my God. It, it, I genuinely thought we'd taken a wheel off. <laughs> uh, and instead, we'd just broken the, the front splitter or something. But, oh, man, that's the point, though, isn't it, George, at that speed? You know, you can, everything happens so yeah. much quicker and your reaction time through that chicane. I mean, make no, no mistake, uh, David, uh, th those, those, are, those are terrifyingly quick to do damage. They are just, they are just uh, complete yeah. precipices. You either don't hit it or you do hit it and it's pretty well over. The margin for just grazing it is tiny. And without a <laughs> doubt, uh, I mean, uh, just to put a completely different spin on it, without a doubt, Sebastian Auger was was very nearly inch perfect and very unlucky to just touch it. But at the same time, phenomenally lucky. There is a tiny, tiny margin of grazing <laughs> to taking a wheel off. That could have ended his rally. It certainly could have lost him. 
uh, two or three minutes. It could have yeah. it could have just cost them the championship. It just could we're have done. But it is the thing, here. though, George. And, and but was, we're all talking about luck was, here, no, and he, well, he doesn't see it as luck. It's it, skill. It was. It, it was. Exactly, it was Lise. skill. He, he was taking it to the absolute limit. But that. I mean, you know, we were all lulled into the sense that it wasn't really a fight, wasn't really jeopardy. He was still willing to go that far, to take it to yeah. that limit, to take that risk. I mean, the, the rally was on the line there. You know, as you say, David, but it is, probably it is not thing, even though, another George, millimeter what, what, to the right, and the wheel would have been off. So we we were we were talking to our esteemed S4C colleague Emir Penlan, yes, uh, about exactly that. Um, and so if Ogier had taken a wheel off uh, through that stage, and obviously he would have been able to drive the car out. Would he then have been allowed to drive into service because driving into service didn't involve driving on a public road? Did been well, okay. So I couldn't Did remember. Okay? Was, no, the, was the regulation? Uh, uh, you as, know, as you're as not as allowed to drive the road David. section. We saw it happening road. with Tatsuta. Tatsuta. With, with, uh, with Taka. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. dragged so he actually, dragged his car back. Ultimately, to he would have been. He would have been completely fortunate, wouldn't he? Yeah, abs- uh, absolutely. The one, the one venue in the year uh-huh. that you could take a wheel off and get back to service. Yeah, uh, he would have done that. Uh-huh. He would have. But, he would have. But, yeah. but, but that's you know, this is the is 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 this the mark of a true champion? Though, it is. You, it is. He dealt with you, it. You know, and, you make your luck, don't you? But then he, but then he backed right off. And I mean, what on earth could it could it have happened to uh, could it have happened to Elfin at a worse a worse moment? His problem. Um, yeah. Very, very disappointing for him. Very disappointing indeed. Mm. But anyway, uh, look, it was. I think it was just incredibly well judged. But it just goes to show the limit they were both at. You know, although it appeared that that they were just almost, you know, almost giving a a, a show. Almost, it was almost like professional wrestling, backwards and forwards, just making it a show. It was far from that. <laughs> I think it was very, very real. And I, I was, I was actually quite gripped by the whole thing. Once again, phenomenally disappointed by the chicanes on the on the bank circuit. The little bit you could see where the cars were starting to creep up the bank as they came onto it, that would have just been a spectacular big loop. I mean, some people might have thought it was boring, but mm. seeing the cars at probably peaking out just over 200 kph on that lovely, iconic bank circuit, what an image. I could just watch the car doing that all day. It would just be splendid, but... But here's anyway. the thing, George. But, you, know, yeah. you, you, were, you were very critical of the circuit last year. I remember that. Um, yeah. The circuit stages with, with all the... Well, I was, like, criti- I was critical of what I got to see, yes. I mean, it was, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I, it was I, boring I did to actually, watch. I did yeah. quantify it was boring to watch. But I... I do you know, I, I, I didn't agree with you then, but strangely, I find myself agreeing with you now. I, I, uh-huh. I quite like the parts of the... Circuit stages were great to watch. You know, when they shot out and onto that banking, that's yeah, one of the yeah, best shots of the year. Yeah, it looked phenomenal. The high, speed, amongst, the high speed stuff's nice, Colin, exactly. Yeah. Some of it was nice in amongst the trees, but you know, it looked like a blooming farmyard gymkhana at times. You know, there was yes. just so much. There were, there were red tyre um, bollards, there were, there were bollards, there was plastic tape, there was, you know, all sorts of different... Uh, furniture marking out the route and it was like you were looking at it going goodness me this is doing strange things to my eyes it just looked visually in places it it's looked age, awful Colin. it looked awful it looked absolutely do you, do you know, awful do you know what it, do you know what you it know, is Colin I think we can you know, put up you, with that I've, I've seen this before this type of thing before it's it's a, a racing a racing team's idea of what a rally should look like there you go <laughs> you probably find yes. it's the Monza Formula 1 you know marshals that have or you know Whatever I don't know who set it up, but maybe that's what they had to do to get mileage. I don't know, but I mean, for goodness' sakes, seeing these cars 
going around uh, an auto uh, an auto test is for me it's sacrilege in a way. I accept it for you know demonstration purposes and for super special purposes, but I'll hark back to a couple of super special stages, and, and I'll even include Lusada Rallycross in in on the, the on the the old. Uh, super specials of, 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 of greatness. And they were all the same because they were high speed, high speed. The only boring bit were the slow corners. And what did they fill us with? Slow corners, apart from the fast ones, which, but even then they, they put chicanes in them. Dreadful. Yeah, but, but equally, so here's one for you, George. Then we have, uh, we have a final round, two mornings in the mountains. Brilliant. But the, the payoff for that, as we talked about in the preview, was that commercially this one needed to stack up and commercially it could only stack up hey, look, by having those those circuit stages and bringing people totally in totally accept that david but for yeah. goodness sakes then then yeah. then make it a spectacle i, I, know, I would I know. not pay to go and watch that well George, yeah, but, well, well, i mean I they did would, the best that they could with, with the circuit i think they can do better david high speed you know, I, I, high I do agree speed. with you george I, I agree with you entirely i think they could have done better it just in terms of you know, it sounds so petty, but just getting the colours uniform. You know, in places, as I say, it was red tires, blue tires, yellow I never no bunting, I never noticed that. red plastic bollards, white Well, that, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? If George didn't notice, you know, it, it obviously, it, maybe that was a live thing, Colin. I don't know. And, and you I had don't to know. be there to... But, but, but it's petty. But jo it George noticed, petty, but equally, I, I... We, we talked a lot about in Spa, People didn't want to see the cars on the on the Grand Prix track because rally cars can be locked, yeah, can yeah. look lost yeah. on a on a Grand Prix circuit. So you're asking for the big speed. Yeah. Therefore, we can't have chicanes or anything, and you need to leave the cars to go mm. through. Yeah. Uh, or you know, whichever, whatever. And actually, you know, you can't. Yeah. Kind of have it both ways, well, can yeah, you? Yeah, but um, don't, don't, don't 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 put such a broad stroke on that, David. Um, please. I mean, I I wanted to see the cars going around a very historic bit of road, an unbelievably iconic bit yeah, of no, road. No, I agree with that. At high speed, I agree. I, honestly, I could live. And I could no live with Monza there anyway. I can live with Monza being what it was. It was probably, you know, I was I wasn't there, and I don't like to criticise organisers, and I know I have done now, uh, so I'll just apologise for that now. Uh, the, the only thing I was really upset about was I really wanted to see the cars zip along that 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 high speed loop, which which Formula One cars have not been allowed to be on for what forty or fifty years now. Yeah. Uh, nothing nothing goes on it. The only thing that goes on it is the is the Monza Rally Sprint at the end of the year, and now and now this little Monza Rally event, which is fantastic. Uh, and if they'd done that, I would and have been quite happy with Monza. I can accept it for what it is. It's a fair test. You know, it might be all bollards and tyres are different colours, but it's a fair test. And, and you know, <laughs> if it had been, if I've, it had I've been got wet, to say, amazing. George, I am, I, yeah, I am, I'm quite defensive uh, of Monza because uh, my old friend Umberto Andrioletti was he's the operations director at Monza. Somebody you might remember, Umberto used to work for, um, I think Brembo. Oh, was I, it I would when, definitely know. I, I think I, I think I even uh, I think I can even put a, fa uh, a face to the name David Umberto. Uh, uh, among a nation of lovely people, uh, Umberto was a particularly lovely fellow. Yeah. Wow. Look, uh, and you know he he did his best in in six weeks. They, they yeah, well, did a great um, job, David. They all did uh, there's no question they did a great job, and there's there's no question that you know that they did what they had to do and. The mountain stages were fantastic stages, and they were great to watch. and And you and I went up and had a look at a couple of them, uh, and it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. As I say, I just you know felt that in places, 
it looked messy, and that that's that's as we all know, that doesn't really matter in rallying. It's about what the cars are doing. Okay. Um, I'll, but, I'll you know, to, to go back again, and the organisers um, had a bit more time to prepare, maybe a little bit more budget. That might be something that they might want to look at. But but overall, my goodness, you know, Monza has stepped in brilliantly. Two seasons running now. Uh, and both times they've given us rallies to get excited about, you know, and, and that's, yep. that's what mm. we want. Something that's different, something that's exciting. And we've had that both times we've been to Monza. Yeah. So, so, yeah, hats off. I, I didn't want it to sound as if I was criticising the organisers too much. I was just well. telling you what I thought and looking at the circuit at times, I thought that yeah. just looks messy. Messy, oh. messy. But, I, but, but we don't want sanitised rallying. I'm, I'm kind of getting myself confused here with what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, you're saying the same thing three um, times, Colin. OK, we've got, we've yeah. got it. Honestly, yeah, because, I think we've got good. the shorthand. Mm. We've got the shorthand mm. now. It's all bollards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, perhaps we can we can move on to the other yes. thing that we were gonna we were gonna talk about. And of course, um, I'm reading words that uh, somebody from Dirtfish has written. He's probably on this podcast. The World Rally Championship has been dominated by two French drivers every year since 2004, with 17 of the 18 titles won by either Sebastian Loeb or Sebastian Augier. Augier making it eight at the weekend. It, it, it's going to be the conversation that people have over their pastis or their red wine or um, a little hot sake down in Japan for years. Who, you know, who has le the legacy? Who, who's the best? <laughs> I don't want to say who's the best, but who is the best? Out of these two fantastic drivers, yeah, yeah, D so, David. You so I did. I did the. I, well, I did, I've got to say that for once, I actually did some homework and I did some some research, put some numbers around it for my piece um, on the website, and now can't remember what those numbers. Well, were. I was going to say I was just about uh, to pass them off for myself here. I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll pass them off as yours. So you've said that. Uh, the obvious stats, the ones that dictate Loeb won 79 of the 180 rallies he started, so that's a success rate of 44%. Augier on 54 from 167, which, in your words, David, leaves him 10% down on his countrymen. But Yeah, I but, couldn't do all of the maths there. But there's more. And But at least you've missed out the bits. Mm. Okay, so the, so the, other, so the other bits then. So in the nine years that Loeb won, nine other drivers also topped the podium. The most different winners in a single season came in 2004. That was in his first championship campaign when five drivers registered wins and Augier faced 11 different winners across eight seasons. And back in 2017, we had seven different drivers winning a stage of the WRC. So by, by extension, surely Augier's has to be the, the, the bigger legacy. You know, it was more competitive uh, when, he, when he was winning. Yeah, come on, make your argument. Make your argument. Cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against that in a bit. Yeah, well, I'm, not, just I, I'm not going to go against it. But I'm going, I'm going to take a different tack on it and say that you know, numbers are numbers, and if we, if we, if we only look at numbers, well, you know, Sebastian Loeb won more titles. He won more rallies. Um, you know, does that not make him the greatest driver of all time? I don't think so. I think as David's done, you kind of have to put some context around it, and you, know, you have to look. Number one. You know, you have to look at the fact that Ogier has won with three different manufacturers, particularly with Ford, who, who you know, who we know were, were desperate for a driver to win uh, the title. He won it twice with Ford. More than that, what you have to look at is that Ogier in his Volkswagen days, you know, they changed the rules to try and stop him winning. The FIA changed the rules to stop Ogier winning. Did they stop him, stop him winning? 
did they heck. All they did was put fire in his belly. And he went on. And, you know, not only did he beat all the drivers, he beat the FIA in those two or three seasons where they changed the rules. I, I think, you know, you, you look at it. Uh, and for me, Ogier has risen to absolutely every challenge that's been put in front of him over the years, whether that be in a new car with a new manufacturer or with new rules that are designed to stop him or with drivers, young drivers, who are absolutely intent on knocking him off his perch. He has risen to every challenge and he has well and truly won every challenge that's been set in front of him. And, and from that point of view, I think, you know, not, not dismissing at all what Sebastian Loeb did. He, he did remarkable things. Uh, but for me, you know, you look at the two and he might have won less titles, he might have won less rallies, but Ogier will leave the greater legacy in my view. George? Uh, I think I think you're, uh, all the arguments are valid, of course, but it, why are we trying to compare two drivers who, who, who did meet uh, at times? Yeah, I, I, I just I just don't get it. They're they're both unbelievably brilliant. They were both the absolute champions of of their eras, even though they overlapped. Uh, I think that uh, Sebastian Loeb did the most amazing job uh, for so many years, and such a such an easy character, such such a, 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 a an amenable person. And then you've got this entirely different character, Sebastian Oji, who's fiery and and, and uh, volubly passionate about everything, uh, can't contain himself at times, totally different character. But yet he emulates uh, all of all of uh, Sebastian Loeb's greatness. I think they're absolutely cock on equal. There you go. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, how is life on the fence, George? No, I'm going to go a bit with I'm going to go a bit with George. But my my argument would be, um, in the way that you say Auger faced more competition, that he had more drivers that were providing a challenge to him. My argument would be that Sebastian Loeb snuffed out the opposition because he was so dominant in the way that. I often go back to tennis in the way that Pete Sampras kind of blasted the opposition into submission for so many years and made tennis a bit boring. I think um, because Sebastian Loeb would seem to have this way of driving it effectively, everybody else is doing, forcing everyone else to drive at 110% while he was driving at 95% and then only turning it up when he really needed to, it felt, mm. um, watching it. He just always seemed to be able to raise it just that bit further he demolished the opposition before they had a chance to actually um, challenge him in that way. Now, both of these drivers are very good at mind games, perhaps Augier the greater at that. And I kind of think about how in the VW years, um, he used to work with Yari Matti Latvala. And when we were running the radio station, I'd listen to a lot of the post-stage um, in interviews and I'd often wonder if Augier was talking directly to Yari Matti yeah. Latvala to, to undermine his confidence at times because you would hear the comments come back from Yari Matti uh, with, with little bits of doubt touched in. So Augier was very good at playing the mind games in those ways. Augier, uh, Loeb did it in the car by just going that bit quicker, by just taking a mm -hmm. stage win by a little bit more. So you're right, George, you, you can't compare two very different drivers for producing very similar results but what? who is the who is the greatest who is the greatest of them but that, that's kind of not what we're saying who, who's the better of the two drivers we're saying who, who leaves the the bigger legacy um you know who, who will be I'm remembered saying who's the greatest. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the, the better driver is, is, is not, not necessarily the one who leaves the biggest legacy, I, I don't think. Um, you know, what is a legacy when it comes it's, down to it, George? Well, exactly, Colin. It's about it's about the broader thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's about the influence That's that they it. have on the sport. Yeah. It's you know, you could so you could say, you know, does 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 Sebastian Loeb leave a nine-time bigger legacy than than Petter Solberg, for perhaps example? You, no, perhaps you could put it this way. Uh, would, would legacy? I was going to yeah. say, would would yeah. legacy be yeah. um, the younger rally fans watching, saying, "I want to grow up to be like." And then, obviously, insert your favourite driver. Colin McRae had that had that effect on people who didn't follow rallying, but they they saw Colin McRae's legacy and thought, "Oh, that is brilliant! That's how I want to drive a car." Absolutely. Perhaps that's yeah. That's perhaps who would you want to drive more like Ogier, or would you want to drive more like Loeb? <laughs> well, they, something. they drive reasonably similarly. Yeah. Here's something else that, that that struck me. It struck me when I was watching the the opening ceremony. In Greece, and uh, you know, we'd not been to Greece since when? Was it 2012? I think before we went back this year. Yeah. Uh, so we'd not been there for the best part of a decade. Uh, and Ogier on the uh, the start ramp, he, 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 he was asked a question, and he and he said something. He said a few words, and he paid tribute to to Greece as a country, to Greece as a a rallying nation, to the the history and all the rest of of, of the Acropolis rally. And it struck me that that man is, and I, I kind of said it somewhere else. He speaks like a statesman, you know, for rallying. Now, I never heard Sebastian Loeb speaking in that way. It's not to say he wasn't capable of speaking in that way, but I never heard him talking in that kind of way. Uh, and, and the one thing we will miss about Sebastian Ogier is his ability to do that, his, his statesman-like ability to talk on behalf of our sport. Now, I, I don't see anyone coming through who automatically and naturally takes that mantle. Um, you know, and, and as I say, in comparing him to Loeb, Loeb quietly went about his business, uh, whereas Ogier is very much a front man, a man that's prepared to stand up and, and give us his opinion and to say a few words and to say a few words with real meaning and real depth. Uh, and in, in, in that regard, for me, that, that, that's, that's someone that has a legacy, someone that has the ability to certainly continue to build a legacy. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's Speaking of which, Colin, you did actually get a chance to speak to him at the end of Monza. Yeah, yeah, and you can see that obviously on our Dirtfish YouTube channel. But I have to say, you know, we're going to play that interview now, and what you'll hear is Sebastian Ogier that you'll rarely hear. I've never heard him quite so open and quite so willing to talk. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, this is what he had to say. Seb, many, many congratulations on your eighth world championship. We saw some real emotion at the stop line there. Uh, tell us the conversation you had with Julian. Can you share that with us? It looked as if it was very emotional indeed. Yeah, well, so much emotion that I'm not sure I can, I can say the sentence I said at this, at this point again. But uh, one, one thing is sure is I told him that I'm going to miss him and that, uh, that it's been an amazing journey together and that, uh, that he have to let his phone open because you never know, I might have to call him at some point. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's today, of course, I think the emotion crossing the line, knowing that we are world champion, we're strong, but they were even stronger thinking uh, that uh, that's the end of this journey with Julian. Quite some journey, wasn't it? You, you had a bit of time on the car on your own as well, standing on the car, just lost in thought almost. We don't often see that from you. Yeah, well, it's not often that you say uh, goodbye to, to this kind of relationship. So uh, at least we could have never dream of a better scenario uh, handing it that way it's it's really 
really amazing. I'm very happy for, for him. Yeah, somehow, I want to say to offer that to him, but it's not to offer that because we worked that very hard together. And, and it was impressive that this weekend, at the end, it felt like another, another race for us. I didn't feel any special emotion during the whole weekend because we, know, we knew that we had much to do uh, to valid this title. It was not over uh, yet. Uh, Elvin was there and putting us, I mean, not directly under pressure because we didn't have to beat him, but we had to, the Hyundai's were not far behind. So if you start to relax a little bit, you easily drop to P4 and then P4, you have to score a point in the poor stage. You never know what happened in the poor stage. So that's, uh, that's why it was never really possible to relax uh, this weekend. So. Yeah, we were completely into our race and, uh, and then the emotions came, like you've seen, uh, crossing the finish lane. We had uh, also uh, the special helmets that we've done some rallies ago already. I mean, some rallies ago. To be honest, to be honest I ordered it uh, after, when was it? Three rallies ago when we had 44-point lead. I say, okay, we can take the risk to order this new helmet with eight, eight, title, eight, eight stars, sorry. But... I'm not sure what, at which point I can use it. I was hoping inside me that I could use it for this rally, uh, the full rally in Monza and be champion already from Spain on. But like you've seen, we had uh, not the easiest rally recently. And uh, I'm not sure many people would have bet that we, we, we won, we will win this weekend. And, uh, and, and it was uh, nice to see that finally with a with a better test maybe, a car which was searching me uh, better to start the event. It's clicking finally again and it felt that uh, like, the, like the good time where, where without pushing uh, stupidly and just driving the way I, I know how to do it, clean, uh, it, was, it was making good time. So, yeah, very happy that's this kind of, uh, that's for this kind of weekend that we do this sport. Just talk to me about that moment in the opening stage, though, because we saw when you glanced that concrete barrier, you had a look down, you were checking the tyre pressures. Did for a second you think, what have I done? Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, it was the first time of the weekend that I really, you know, it was the only full tarmac stages, uh, stage, sorry, and I was thinking, OK, maybe at least on this one I can try to drive fast once and clean. And this concrete... They are very tricky. I mean, you are always feeling that you are very far from it, and then you start to try to go a bit closer, and you are very, you come too close. And now I just glanced it, yeah, luckily, because millimeter further, and it was just, then it would have been a real impact, and it would have probably broke the wheel, and, or at least puncture. Already in this moment, it sounds, it didn't hit really hard. I almost didn't feel anything in the steering, because it was just a glance but the the sound was still a bit there and then i was that's why you can see me watching the my dashboard and thinking okay i i must have a puncture now i must have a puncture and i think the next kilometer i'm watching more the dash than the <laughs> than the road uh but yeah uh that's part of the game you know it's um you always need to to have some luck with you and some, some lucky stars. I think we were discussing with Elvin that he had his one in, in, in uh, Spain where he had this huge moment, stage three maybe, or he hit the concrete. His, his wheel was actually much worse than mine today. And somehow it holds. That's sometimes, that's rally. Sometimes 
you do big mistakes and you have uh, uh, no consequences. Sometimes you do nothing and you, you have big consequences. Today, I think it was not, yeah, it was millimeter away, so basically a perfect drive. <laughs> but let's say I didn't try to do it again. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on, on this World Rally car? Obviously, your two titles with M Sport, two titles now with Toyota, and we're saying goodbye to them. It served you well, this generation of World Rally car? Yeah, definitely. That's what that's four four titles with this generation. So, yeah, they were simply amazing cars. I think everybody enjoyed it. The driver, of course, but the fans, because I mean, I'm sure the next one will be spectacular. The previous one was spectacular. There is always a room when you give to the best rally drivers in the world some some competitive cars. The most important is that they are not too different from each other, and then they will always be a show. But this one's had this extra, extra little bit craziness in it, like remembering the bit of groovy pint of all the fans because, I mean, the speed we reached now was uh, sometimes started to scare me a little bit, I have to be honest. <laughs> and uh, getting older, you know, you see more and more the risk. And that's, I was never really prepared to take full risk in my life, but maybe getting older, it's always a tendency to go slightly lower and then try to compensate with your experience maybe but uh, no yeah it's been a, it's been a very good time with these cars and I think yeah also before uh, we were mentioning like the three teams I had a chance to I mean I had more than three teams but the three teams I won championships it was uh, it was a kind of big chance for me as well to 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 meet them along the way because uh, you it's a team sport, you win and you lose together, so without them I would have not achieved all of that. I think there was a time, not so many years ago, where racing was everything to you and rallying was everything to you. I think that's changed in your life now and the most important thing in your life is your family. Uh, we saw your son here for the first time this weekend, your wife was here. It was really lovely to see that. Yeah, and it looks like he bring me luck because it's only the second time he's coming and the second time I win, he was in uh, Sardinia this year as well. So. Uh, Maybe for the next few rallies I might do, uh, I should try to convince my wife to bring him. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always difficult because, you know, for him, I'm only his papa. And uh, I've, uh, he just now we learn him that I have to be Weltmeister this weekend. But it it's, doesn't mean much for him. So it's hard to see so much attention around me and that I cannot give him time. So that's why. It was only his second time in, in a rally in five and a half years that he is born. And uh, let's see what the future brings to us. But for sure, uh, yeah, I want to enjoy time with him more than anything right now with my wife as well. I think there is time for everything in life. And I'm not that old either. So that means I, uh, I already sometimes regret that I didn't stop completely right now because I need to prepare already for Monte very soon and that doesn't make me very happy to be honest. <laughs> but, but I don't know, I think there is no perfect way to end a career anyway. We are all struggling to find a way to do it and uh, my way to do it I feel is the right one for me right now because I want to have more time for myself and my family but somehow I still keep a, a fit in, in the sport and, and it's matching anyway the actual rules because it's nice for a team to have a third car shared by drivers so that somehow everyone is happy. Yeah, I don't know. I think somehow I need a break. I need to... Maybe it's the fact that I was 
one guy of the extreme, I would say, or the extreme. When I do something, I do it 100% or I don't do it. But the thing is, maybe after this 15 years, putting so much energy into it, I maybe empty a little bit my tank, you know, of, of, of motivation, of uh, even excitement. Sometimes you lose a little bit the excitement to go and, and that's, that's, that cannot be like this because that was a dream of mine to do that. And that still I, I, I enjoy so much that. But that when you reach this point, when you realize that you are thinking too much about the, the negative when you go to a race compared to all the joy that brings this to you, that's maybe the time that you need to to reset a little bit, make uh, make at least the breaks. Maybe then it will come to a complete end. Maybe it will miss me. I will come back a little bit more. I don't know because, like I say, I'm still not that whole maybe for for, for rally. Uh, but but for sure, uh, right now I need this uh, this break. Well, I have to say, Sebastian, from all of us at Dirtfish, you have been an absolute champion, a statesman, and we have enjoyed every minute of the time that we've enjoyed with you as a championship. Enjoy your break. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to uh, talk with you, Colin, and, uh, and David as well, I think. Uh, I mean, there is uh, best guys in every side of the sport, and uh, you're definitely some of the best from all sports. So it's been always a pleasure to talk with you. David, I have to say, folks that have seen that interview on YouTube have been very, very complimentary about it. But I have to give you an awful lot of credit, David, because you whispered something into my ear. One of the many things you whispered in my ear, by the way. But you whispered <laughs> something into my ear just as he was coming across that set that interview off on the right tone. I was, I was all ready to go with a very straightforward, banal kind of question. And you said, ask him about that moment on top of the car with Julian and Grassi. I thought, yeah, that's the perfect way to start this interview. And it just set it up nicely, didn't it? It it did, uh, and it was it it was there was tremendous emotion there, uh, and it, it yeah it was it was one of those great moments. They don't come along very often um, for for journalists, but that uh, no that really was a, 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 an incredible interview. Uh, and you know, consistently, Ogier has always shown himself to be the ultimate competitor, but also for me, the ultimate decent person. Mm genuinely mm. good human being uh and you know the he was obviously quite involved originally in in being a, an ambassador for extreme e uh and he has seen the way that extreme e's gone and he's made a conscious decision that he doesn't want to be part of that uh and he was happy to talk about that um there are various times you know he's he's not a political figure at all but he does have quite strong feelings you know but it we had this discussion about Sebastian Vettel, didn't we, at the weekend? And we were sort of saying, you know, isn't it great what Vettel's doing? And and yes, it is. But equally, you can't ignore the day job uh, in terms of what they're what they're actually doing uh, to earn a living. And the fact that you know Vettel does all of this stuff and then flies around the world potentially in a private jet, um, or even you know leaves a huge carbon footprint because he's competing in a championship that goes around the world ten times in a year or something. It's difficult, um, but I do think that that we won't see, uh, or certainly at the moment, there's, we're not looking like seeing uh, another Sebastian Auger coming along. He he has got a lot to say. I think it's we've seen that you know he's evolved tremendously through his career. You go back to 2011 
uh, when he made those comments in Germany about there is justice in the world, justice in the sport, justice in the sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it was tr- it was great, and it was just what we needed uh, at that time because everything was just so nice, wasn't it? Between Loeb and Hervenen and Latvala, you know, they're all mates and they're all chums, and it was all you know a big slap on the back when they finished second or third or whatever, and then suddenly in came this guy with massive needle uh, and massive fire. Uh, and he turned the championship on its head. Uh, and, and in some ways, it's just such a shame that he spent two th- that he didn't go to Ford, to M Sport for that 2012 season. Uh, the one season that he could have genuinely gone head to head with with Sebastian Loeb. Of course, he was in the in the Fabia preparing for his yep. for his time with Volkswagen. Yeah. Um, but for me, just a brilliant, brilliant competitor and a thoroughly decent human being. Absolutely, got to echo that a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've always, uh, always been very, very, uh, you know, he's just. I've always seen that side to him, and it, sometimes he's made it difficult to see that side, David, hasn't he? He's not always made it easy for everyone to like him. He but, hasn't. But, but and, yet, you always had to put it in context. You always had to put his his edge, his slight edge that he would have in interviews or his, his angst that he would have about certain things, you would always have to try and put it in context. And if you could put it in context, the context of a great champion wanting to continue being mm. a great champion, then a lot of what he said and did made a little more sense. Um, but he didn't make but it, it didn't, easy for it, people to like him. He didn't, but equally, it was the FIA that made it difficult. You know, in t- I think it was 2015 where they implemented that rule that the championship leader Yes. We'll go on the road uh, for the first two days. I spoke to to Yamo Mahanen at that time, who was then the, the 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 rally director at the FAA. I said, "It looks to me as though you know this this rule is aimed at one person." And he said, "It is, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have to. They had to do something because Ogier was walking away with it. But what do you do if you are Sebastian Ogier? You know, you literally what they did then was you know they 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 made uh, Sebastian Ogier's football goal three or four times the size of his oppositions it was it was unfair you know it's not Ogier's fault yes he had the best car yes he had the biggest budget yes he had blah 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 but he was in that position he was taking advantage of it so that's one side of the argument the flip side of the argument is if they hadn't done that both the I think it was 15 and 16 championships would have been done by the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and where's the entertainment value yeah. in that? You know, you turn you turn a whole bunch of fans off. Uh, and there's an element this year that I, I think it's been an interesting season, but it hasn't been a ripper of a season, has it? We haven't had, you know, that ding dong battle all year. Um, and you can see, you can absolutely see that sometimes fans will be turned off. Uh, yeah, it's not you like, you know, the seventh. Well, look, exactly, Lise. Well, uh, but f- fundamentally, none of this was Ogier's fault. And all he did was actually voice his concerns. The trouble is, when he got into an event, he got asked that question a hundred times. Yeah. Probably through an event, a hundred times to say, what about first on the road? And he got fed up with it. And, you know, he has a fairly short fuse anyway. Um, and he just got, you know, understandably, he was wasting so much energy going over the same point, you know, because you go over it in Monte Carlo, you go over it in Sweden, you go over it in Mexico, you go over it in Portugal. Every time you get to an, another round of the championship, the local journalists want to ask the same questions. For two years, he was banging his head against a brick wall. And I remember in towards the end of 15 and into 16, 
he said he'd had enough. And he, I do believe he came very close to walking away. Yeah, I, I believe that. Because everything was stacked against him. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, but he, fundamentally, he's... he's he rose Sorry. against it. He rose against it. So, I mean, as you say, you know, all it did was it, light a it, fire under his arse. It, it, he just... Uh, <laughs> I did, totally, George. He just, totally. He just absolutely and, rose to it and just basically gave two fingers to the establishment and all everyone around him. Not and that he did it nastily, comes but he out said, of that, up yours, you lot. Yeah. And, it, yeah. You know, and comes out of that two years as an absolute... Genuine yeah. champion. Yeah. yeah. And why why have they never, guys? Why why have they never? The fairest way to decide road position, other than championship order, which I think is perfectly fair, by the way. But the next fairest way is uh, you know, an opening, what do they used to call it? The uh the shakedown. What do they call yeah. it? A qualifying, qualifying stage. Qualifying stage. Why would they never bring a mm. qualifying stage back? Because Ogier Ogier would nine times out of ten win the qualifying stage. You only have to look at the power stage. Because he was first on the road. Well, he, he, he just, yeah, he'd be first on the road, but he, you know, he just had that ability, didn't he? To, to When it's yeah. needed. And we saw it many, many times over his career in the power stage, just to put something special in and to, to put in a stunning single stage time. And you know, that is the reason. You know, he kept saying, bring back the, part, the, 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 the qualifying stage, bring back the qualifying stage. No chance of them doing that. Because they, they knew what would happen again. He would go on and he would uh, he, he would if you, he would if you, have the best of the road position. If, if you if you go back a little a little bit in history, it used to be you know the, the the running order of a rally was set by the rally. It wasn't necessarily championship position. Mm. So you went to San Remo, you would always guarantee there would never be a Lancer in the top two or three cars for Tuscany. You know at the start of the rally, it was it was so transparently <laughs> obvious. Um, uh, shocking really when you when you look back, but. The reality was that, uh, so you sort that one out, and then, you know, leading car starts first on the road, and at the end of the first day, the, 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 the leading car starts again, you know, the, 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 for, for the second day, just, just as it was for many years. And, of course, then you start to see everybody slowing down at the end of the first day, which nobody particularly wanted to see. But, actually, I think in many ways that was less damaging to the sport than a lot of the paraphernalia they've put in place. And, I mean, you know, that, that rule to... To um, to hobble Mister uh, Mister Roger um, was absolutely shocking, but yeah, arguably, arguably it, it maybe um, saved saved the championship to some extent at, at one man's expense. Uh, um, but what what happens if you just put the rules back to as they used to be? At that point, but I was going to say the the, yeah. the other That's the other thing like. that we we have to remember with those rule changes was to actually keep things interesting till Sunday as well. Yeah, because we yeah. were getting to the point that rallies were decided, and everybody then went out and had a nice Sunday troll around. Mm. <coughs> Don't pardon. break the car, get it back yeah. in the you know container mm. to ship for the next event, and and that had to that had to change because mm. people were switching off the sport because the, the rally was won by Sunday by Saturday mm. night. Yeah, but there's there's the thing though, Lise. You you look back in in the popularity of our sport, and there's obviously there's there's peaks and troughs, but. George, you'd know, you know, through the 80s, through the 70s, we had rallies that would regularly be decided by European events that could be decided by 10 minutes. Yeah. And yet it, it still, was. yet still, people, people were, and you know, the rally would be over halfway through, but, but still people came in their millions. Mm. And maybe, maybe well, that's partly to do with the 24 hour and. Yeah. Yes, it is, Lise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and the and... fact was that that those rallies were, you know, there was potentially there wasn't as much going on uh, in, in the areas at the time. And 
it was an event in itself. You know, the RAC rally went from from say I don't know Bath or or Chester or whatever. It went it was a linear route right around the country. Most of the people that were out spectating didn't really know who was leading. Yeah. Um, and they just went out to watch some cars. There's a fabulous uh, and... picture, David. And there's a fabulous picture, which uh, now who are they talking to? We're talking to someone and they were showing us some old pictures. Um, oh, there was someone in it. There was, was it a Damo? So I think it may have been a Damo showing us a picture of, of him spectating somewhere. And there had to be 150 people in this picture watching this car. And what were they all doing? watching the car they were all watching the car there wasn't yeah, a yeah. single mobile phone not a single camera <laughs> yeah they were all watching yeah. the car <laughs> it's like wow wow yeah there was a day where people would uh, not so long ago where people would make enormous efforts to get up into the mountains out into the hills to actually just watch the cars not to take pictures not to take videos not to post social clips um, and it all, yeah. you know, it, it all seems to have changed a bit since then. Go, but, go, gosh, but, Colin, you're sounding old. There is a there is a point there, though, isn't it? Because a couple of years ago now, clearly a couple of years ago now, we were at um, a Coldplay concert in in London, uh, and literally everybody, as soon as they came on stage, started recording. And at one point, Chris Martin, I can't remember which song it was. Uh, maybe yellow or something with all of the lights and the explosion, blah, blah, blah. Chris Martin said, please, this, you know, this will be on YouTube. It will. Somebody will put it. Or, you know, if you need to, buy the video. But please, just for this song, put your phones down <laughs> and let's just enjoy it. And it was amazing. And literally, I mean, of course, people kept their phones up, but the vast majority of people put their phones down. And at the time, uh, I said to Sandra, I said, you know, We've been here many times at concerts, and you record it, you record it, and you never go back and watch it. I was going to say, you who never watches do. it back? So, yeah. so what's the point? You know, so we we made a bit of a rule, and, and we have never recorded on a phone a concert again because it it does restrict your own enjoyment of it mm. because you're watching it on a bloody screen. Yeah. You know, it's there in front of you. Put the thing down. It's there. Yeah. It's happening. Taking the uh, and that's picture. you know that was some. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes my frustration with, 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 like you say, Cole, at rallies, you know, you're so quick to grab the phone because you need that social clip. Sod it. Yeah. Just enjoy what's happening you know what? in front I've, of I've you. I've just had to go back and look to see when the first iPhone was invented. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, at least, because George Donaldson because, but, had one. But, that, but I was going to say, and that's, that's how short a period of time it is for, yeah. for something to change yeah. so drastically. Yeah. The first time I saw an iPhone... The first time I saw one, George had just come back from America and he had the original iPhone, which didn't even have 3G on it. It only had the edge on it. Remember that, George? No, I, I, <laughs> did yeah, it have a camera? I, I, I didn't. It had a camera. It, it, Rally it, Turkey. I don't think, I can't even remember if it did video. I don't think it did video. Um, yeah. I've still got it, um, but I, I didn't buy it in America. I actually <laughs> bought it here on the first day they were available ah. here. So I was six months right. behind the US, but I had been in the ah. USA just shortly after yeah. they were launched and was just gobsmacked by what I saw. That's it. That's it. It, That's was, it. it, was, it was brilliant. I believe it was 2007, but it might, it might have been 2006. Correct. 2007. 2007. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Here, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. I think I think um, we should we should set up a uh, set up a campaign to have phone free corners on rallies and see how many people turn up. <laughs> Probably none. Yeah. <laughs> phone free. Oh, so corners. Here's the years I've had with all of you guys on event trying to find a mobile signal to broadcast back yeah. to me. 
Uh-huh. The last thing I want is anywhere <laughs> where you cannot get in contact with you when we need to get in contact with you. Right, last question. People, if you said, I'm going to set up the spectator zone and it's going to be a mobile phone free spectator zone, do you think there are people that would actually make the effort to go there just because of that? I think to be amongst other like minded. Yeah. People would it go there just to spite it everyone. Depends what you can see. People are yeah, spiteful. But, but, you know, to be... Right, one, one, one question, yeah. uh, and there might be a prize for the person who gets closest. Right. How many, how many original iPhones were sold globally? iPhone one, first generation. How many units were sold globally? No looking. No, I'm not looking, but I'm thinking okay. they were only available quickly. for a few months. George, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say 150 million. Oof, no. I'm I'm going to say way less than that because they were only available for six months. I'm going to say it, oh, I'm going to say under a million. Under a million. Yeah. Lease? They weren't that expensive. I mean, they were, but they weren't, they if weren't you know what I mean. Available. And I think the whole novelty yep. value of people, and also Apple Apple people. Give us um, an answer. We lo- <laughs> Playing for time. Give us an answer. Uh, let's go in the middle then. Let's say 50 million. 6.1 million. Oh, so who's the closest? Who <laughs> is the closest? <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable, isn't it? I, I've got to say, I'm astonished. I, I was with you, was, George. I didn't realise it I was, was thinking only in the billions. I, I was thinking it was a year and a half before the, 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 the three came out, wasn't it? it was no. the, the th- they called it the three, wasn't it? But, but don't forget yeah, that. I've, I've got them all. I've, I've got all the ones I bought. I've not, I've not, I, I skipped a couple of them. I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have an iPhone. Was there an iPhone? F- no, I had an iPhone 4. I didn't do a 5 and then I went straight to but the George, 6. But George, George, remember. So here we go. When you were since, getting... since 2007, 1.3 billion yeah. iPhones have been yeah. sold and Apple's stock value has grown by more than 15,000%. But it was a completely <laughs> new concept. It was completely new. I'm just thinking, when I said, when I said um, it wasn't that expensive, I'm kind of looking back that with rosy-tinted glasses. <laughs> In 2007, about $500, I think, is what an iPhone was. There's no way oh. you would have paid that for a phone. No. Whereas now um, we routinely... No. And, and effectively, when, yeah. when you buy a smartphone, not just an iPhone, obviously, other phones are available, but you're effectively buying a computer for your pocket. Yeah. And, and yeah. the fact that I, it does amaze me at times when I'm packing a bag to travel somewhere that I'm putting my one phone computer in a bag with another computer, which will be a tablet, and another computer, which is the laptop. I mean, we're talking about mm. thousands of pounds worth of tech that years ago... I would have been horrified about leaving the house with yeah, <laughs> in case true. somebody yeah. saw I had it and wanted to mug me for it. Yeah. It's, it's the, the way that we changed the, you know, the, the, the actual casualness yeah. of cav- carrying hundreds of pounds of technology around. And, uh, and half it, the time it falls down the toilet when you go to the loo. <laughs> that doesn't have any laptop, does it? That's never happened to me, David. How, much, how, how, much, how much did you pay for your last phone, guys? I bought mine and I paid eleven hundred pounds for mine. Uh, I bought yeah, mine. I paid about I bought, seven hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I bought mine two years ago. It was an iPhone eleven, and they were fairly recently out at that point. Uh, and I paid, I think, fourteen hundred and fifty pounds for it. Yeah. Yeah. I got the same got as you, George, full, but, but full. it's the iPhone eleven, but a slightly smaller memory than you. That's why I paid I a got, little less. There we go. <laughs> Ridiculous. Someone's Rally. trying to sell me one half price at the D- iPhone thirteen. David, minute. Anyway. David obviously doesn't buy phones. 
<laughs> no, you might, I think company phone. We're pretty much done for this while we, while we talk about tech and about how in 14 years it's completely transformed not only the sport we all enjoy, but also the way that we cover it. The, uh, I mean, Colin and I can bore on about how we actually had to run a radio station on fabulous. a string and a, and, a, and a tin can effectively mm. at, at points. But, um, but technology has made that very easy now. We are going to come back to do a review of the season. We didn't even touch on the fact that Monza, we did generally touch on the fact that Monza was uh, Julian and Gracia's final WRC pairing with Auger. He'll be looking for someone else to sit next to him in the car next year for his limited run. But we are going to do a bit of a review preview in our next edition of Spin the Rally Pod. Do you think that will work for you, chaps? Absolutely. Can't wait, Lise. Uh, yeah. Yep. Definitely and if you want to get up. in touch in the meantime, at Dirtfish Rally is the best way to get in touch with us. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back. I'm not going to set a date and time for it because it depends on where in the world we all are and whether we're all awake at the same time. But uh, for now, thanks for listening.